I'm so glad you guys are here today. Uh, We're in a series and we're leading up to Christmas Eve uh, where we've been unpacking and talking about this idea of the Christmas paradox. Right? We've been unpacking different paradoxes in the Christmas story, and if you, the definition of a paradox that we've been using for, uh, throughout this series is that a paradox is a seemingly absurd statement that when investigated may prove to be true. Right? That's what a paradox is. It's something that seems so outlandish, so out of control. Like At this point in my life, at this point in our, in our Seahawks season, it seems pretty absurd that they're going to make it to the Super Bowl, right? It's pretty outlandish, right? It just does not seem like it's going to happen, but you know, we can have hope right? <laughs> Go Hawks. Um, I hope. But, uh, you know, so like these things that seem absurd, they seem just out, out of this world, out, you know, just indescribable. That's what a paradox is. And throughout the Christmas story, we've unpacked these different parts of the story that seem pretty crazy, right? If you look at it on surface level, it's like a virgin giving birth, crazy, right? It doesn't make sense. It does not biologically work. You know, it, it's not in your, your, your bio, biology books. None of those things. It's not a possibility. It's a paradox, right? Seemingly absurd, but when investigated, we see that it is true. We talk about, and we're going to talk about it more on Christmas Eve, but God becoming human, right? That's a paradox in itself, that God would become creation, that creator would step out of eternity into humanity so that way we could know him, right? And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about Emmanuel, God with us on Christmas Eve and talk more about that, but that paradox of God becoming human. And then last week, Danielle, she preached about light and darkness and how if there is light, there is no darkness, right? And how we, how we deal with the darkness and how we deal with intera- in, interacting with it in, the, in, the, in our, our lives, we know that when light is there, there can be no darkness, right? That is the paradox of Christmas, that Jesus came to bring that light. And today, we're going to talk through one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story, uh, talking about a baby being a king, right? Doesn't that sound pretty crazy, right? Do you imagine all these little kids up here with one of those was a king, right? I mean, you know, they're cute, right? Don't get me wrong. If my daughter was the king or queen, like she tries to be in our house, right? She, th- she thinks she owns the place. She comes up and tells me what to do, how to live, and what I should be doing, um, you know, and sometimes she's, she's like getting that like snappy clap now too. And I'm like, where'd you even learn that? I was like, come on. Like, how dare you talk to your father like that? Um, I'm the king of this house, uh, right? <laughs> so I think, right? Uh, my, mom, my mom's in the room today, so she's going to be making some jokes. Um, but right, kids are cute, right? And we celebrate and we lean into their innocence. And I, I so, so enjoyed um, them today. Thank you, parents, for, for bringing your kids for practices and, and uh, having them show up and, and just, just being a part of it and encouraging them. I heard many of you guys say that you were practicing in the car and things like that. So that's just awesome. I love that. Uh, but kids, they're awesome. You know, but we don't normally think of them as leaders, right? We normally don't look to the youngest or the smallest or the, the, the babies of the room to be the leaders in the room, so it gives us the question, would you follow a child? Right? Would you follow a child? What kind of leader would you follow? Right? Two very different questions, but two that, are, that we need to ponder, that we need to process. And as we see here today, that one of the paradoxes of Christmas is that when God stepped into humanity to lead, he came as a child. He came as a baby. He came as a child in the most unassuming way, right? In the most innocent of ways, Right? I, was, I would anticipate, you know, war horse, swords, you know, that, that definite kind of king to follow at this time. But no, he came as a baby. He came as a child. You see, that's the thing as we see here today. Not many of them recognized him as a leader, but some did. 
Some did, and we're going to talk about the, the wise men this morning. We're going to talk about the magi from the east, and like I said, it's part, one of my favorite parts of the story uh, of Christmas. And uh, so would you join me in, a, in bowing in a word of prayer as we jump into God's word today? God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for your word. It's alive and powerful. God, I thank you for speaking through it. Lord, I pray today that we'd hear your voice. God, as we work through this holiday Christmas season, I pray that everything else, God, would cease to be as important as you. God, we want you to be number one. We want you to be number one in our lives and our hearts. And God, today as we crack open your word, may we hear your voice today and may it change our hearts, Lord. In your name, amen. 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 So we'll be in Matthew chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me. If you have your Bible apps, also known as a BAP, you can join me. Uh, he was like, yeah, that's right. Bible app, you can download them. But uh, we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 2 uh, in this part of the story. And we're going to see some different, different characters come alive here. Different characters come uh, into, the, into, the, into the scene. And then we're going to unpack the story. But let's go ahead and read Matthew 2, 1 through 12 here. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Right? So Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. We, we got that. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men... From the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And I want to, as we see this part, we can set the stage here. These magi, we, we like to think of them as a, of three wise men, but it could have been six, it could have been three, it could have been ten. But they show up in Jerusalem, and they go to the king who would be sitting on the throne for the Jews at the time. But the, it's important to know that Herod was, was placed there by the Romans, right? He was kind of, you know, he was the puppet governor of the region. And what happened in Herod's first 21 years of his reign was good things, right? The Jews were like, Herod's awesome. He, he you know, elaborated and beautified the temple even greater than Solomon did, right? He, he, he was, you know, for the people. He helped, tried to help the people, all those things. But in the last nine years of his reign, that's where he began to get the name the tyrant, right? And so we see 21 years of Herod, like, kind of cool, kind of awesome, helping the Jews. But then those last nine years of his reign, he earned the name the tyrant because of his ruthlessness in executions, right, for his disputes with his own family, right, with, with, you know, how he dealt with the Romans and allowed the Romans to deal with his people, right? He got this, this, this name of being the tyrant. And when we catch him here, this is uh, where we find him here, he's towards the end of his life. And he's at this point where he's very, you know, scared of losing his rule, right? As we see with a lot of leadership, he's, you know, he's trying to hold on to these things and he gathers up the, the, the leading priests and teachers of religious law, not to like say, hey, like here's my best buddies, like you should meet them. He's like, no, we need to investigate with a story. We need to know what's going on. And so he said, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Verse five, it says, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Right, this is a prophecy coming from the book of Micah. And, and Herod, he hears this prophecy. He's probably heard it. You know, it said that the people in town were disturbed because they'd known that Herod had like really started to take care of people that were against him or that were trying to take his leadership or his roles. And so we see here that he calls his private meeting. It says in verse 7, Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. 
And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too, right? Little, little snake voice there if you want to insert that there. Like, tell, tell him so I can come worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And so we see a lot of times we loop this story in on Christmas, but Jesus most likely would have been born one, maybe two, you know, one and a half years old. We don't know exactly, but the star was consistent, which is a cool thing to think about, right? That this was a consistent celestial event, right? That led the wise men to Jesus, right? Multiple days, even year, a year after he was born. They entered the house. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. This is verse 10. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, which was a common way for you to, to approach a king, to approach somebody who had the majesty of this role. It says, And they opened their gift, the, their treasure chests, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says, When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Right? So we see these wise men, they came seeking a divine king. They came looking, they were searching, they saw the star, they knew the text, and they, they were seeking out the king that would be born, the king of the Jews. Right? You see, this would have been, you know, this could have been, they could have been sent, they could have went to their leaders, and we, we believe, and many scholars believe, they would have come from Iran and, you know, Iraq kind of area. There would have been one nation in that, that time. They, they would have came, and they might have went to their king and said, hey, we've seen this star, and we want to better our relationships with those, those Jewish people and the Roman people, so maybe we should go and investigate. Maybe we should go see this new king of the Jews. Maybe we should go see if this truly is a king. In this time as well, many kings would have been seen as divine, right? Sent by God or even God-like in, in who they were, right? They thought that they were, you know, super awesome, sent by God, right? But these wise men came seeking a king and here in the story, they meet two kinds of leaders, don't they? They meet two kinds of leaders. The first, they meet the kind that we're used to, right? They meet Herod, right? They show up in Jerusalem. They're like, hey, we're gonna go to the guy who should know about the guy, right? And the guy's like, no, you need to not, not this guy better not exist, Right? We see Herod, who was powerful, right? had control. He had you know, the, the ability to, you know, the working with the Romans in the area. The Romans are kind of like in charge, but they put Herod in charge. You know, like when you leave your kid in charge of stuff, you're like, you're in charge, and you know, they think they're in charge. Right? Herod thought he was in charge in a lot of ways. But he was powerful. He was positioned. He was wealthy. He had brought the connections together and, as I mentioned, had elaborated and beautified and made the temple for the, for the Jews so much better and so uh, great in that time. Right? We also see that he was controlling. Right? He hears the whisper, the rumor of a potential uprising, a potential someone to come against his leadership and his kingship. And we see that he's insecure, like many leaders in our time, Right? like us, right? He's in this place. And we see that he, in this time, these 31 years of, of his reign, right, there was executions, disputes, wars. That's the leader that the, the Magi encounter. As I mentioned, the one that we're used to. The second we see here is the kind that we're not used to. We find a baby, powerless, vulnerable, and weak by the world's terms, Right? No baby can, can rule me. No, no little child can tell me what to do. Right? But we, they, we see how the Magi respond in this way. They respond in worship. 
Right? He was worthy of their worship. He was worthy of, of their gifts and their, their material goods. He, they laid them down in worship. They bowed down before a baby. It seems crazy in my mind. You see, Jesus is the rightful king, but he came as a humble baby. And that's our first thought today is that Jesus came differently than other kings because he would be different. He would be a different kind of king. Right? Jesus came, as, came differently than other kings, not on, like I mentioned, on a horse or through crazy pomp and circumstance or war or things like that. He came in a different way because he would be a different kind of king. Right? He would be a different kind of king. No accolades or resume to a lowly, as we talked about, about in the virgin birth story, right? to a lowly teenage girl and her carpenter future husband. Right? Crazy story, unassuming, insignificant. And this king would rule like a shepherd with care and compassion to walk with his people. Right? That's what a shepherd does. He's with his sheep. His job is to be with the sheep. Right? If the shepherd's not with the sheep and he's out at the, at the, 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 the Jerusalem club, he's not doing his job. Right? right? You guys are like, wait, it's not in the Bible. It's not. Um, right? But he would rule like a shepherd. He would guard his sheep. He would walk with them. He would care for them. That's what the prophecy spoke in Micah. But what does that mean for us? Because we're here today, 2,000 years later, and we're working through what that looks like to submit to that king even here today. How do we live a life that honors him, that is worthy of him, that is worshiping that king? 700 years before Jesus' birth, we, you know, Jesus' birth, God gave us a message to the prophet Isaiah that I think helps us to see what Jesus would do and what he's doing throughout time and what he's doing for us even today. Hear what Isaiah says in verse, chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. It says, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Right, prophesying, speaking to Jesus' coming in this area, this region of Galilee. He says in verse 2, hear what God speaks to the prophet. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Right, we talked about that last week. How if we don't lean into the light, darkness comes in. But for those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice they will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy, heavy burdens from their shoulders and you will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the armies of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Right? We see this picture here, and I want to pause there, because we see this picture of, of this idea of the, the world stained by war, blood stained. He says, the boots of the warriors and uniforms, blood stained by war, they will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. They will just become resources, right? They will be stripped back down to their basic forms, right? That's what the king would do. That he would come. He would break the yoke of their slavery, lift the heavy burdens off their shoulders. A light will shine. And then in verse 6, we hear this promise of this king, of this savior. He says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Right, those names that define Jesus. And that if you, if you want to pause there, if you're wanting to see who Jesus is, these are names that you can begin to look to God or look to Jesus as for your own life. Right? Maybe you need some, that wonderful counselor, that person that's going to walk beside you. Jesus promises that. He promises Holy Spirit to walk beside us as that counselor, as that comforter. Right? We see Jesus also as the mighty God, right? the only one who could save humanity who has the power who, to create, but also to save. We also see him as the everlasting father. Right? God is the everlasting father, both you know, present the same today, yesterday, and forever. That is the everlasting God. And I love that, those, those words there, the prince of peace. And that's what we're going to focus in today because it says his government and its peace will never end, looking to the future. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And one of my favorite lines in scripture is the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Right? Passionate commitment of God. Right? The, he's, for me, I read that, I'm like, he's passionately committed to me. He's passionately committed to you. The rescue plan that he initiated at the beginning of time when Eve, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and he said, there will be somebody from your womb that will crush the snake's head. We see that here in Jesus. He's passionately committing to, committed to saving his children. Passionately committed to you. Passionately committed to me. Passionately committed to the one that you might not think deserves it right? Or ha- could ever earn it, right? That is the beauty of what Jesus and his commitment to us, God's commitment to us is, right? He will make this happen. He will. And we sit in this place between now, from, from Jesus and eternity. We're in this middle ground where we're waiting and we're trusting and we're believing and we're, we're being refined in a lot of ways. The sin and our, the hope of our, our, of our journey with Jesus is that we're becoming less like the world and more like him, right? That's what the beauty of a, a thing called like alpha is, it helps us to reflect and to be reminded. That's why we show up on Sunday morning, we sing worship songs, and we hear messages from his word because it should begin to change. It should begin to change the way that we think. Right? And that's, as I mentioned, we'll be talking about in the new year as we go through the, the month of January, as we renew our minds. You see, we live in a world of endless conflict. Wars, injustice, oppression, Right, we see it on TV. You could turn on any news agency and you know there's war going on all over the place. Right? There's people hurting people. There's death. There's destruction. Right? We see it also, we see it around us, but we see it in us with guilt, fear, and pride. And the things that we call sin, which are things that separate us from God that we know in our heart of hearts are not uh, the right things for us. We see that our rulers are also ruled by the same things. But here's what we know is that God promised a solution. He promised a solution that he would not leave, that he would change the boots of war and uniforms bloodstained by war. They will be burned into the fire, turned into a resource. Right? We know that God promised a solution to end oppression, to end war and conflict. He would be the prince of peace. Right, This little baby... Right? He came as a vulnerable, powerless child. And I remember, looking, remember back to holding you know, my, my children. My wife, she had C-sections for all of our kids, so I got to hold them first. You know, so. But she got to hold them for nine months. So, um. <laughs> but I remember just holding this child, the, chi- the children in my hand, Daniel, Drew, and Daylin, in my hands, and just re- realizing, one, first of all, like, 
wow, I'm in charge of this thing. Um, second, what a beautiful, beautiful you know, person this is. Right? What a beautiful representation of this powerless thing now relying upon Daniel and I, now relying upon me to give it life and sustenance and protection. And we said Jesus came in this way. He submitted himself. Think of that, the, of that ultimate submission right, that Jesus made to humanity, that he would come and be held in the hands as a frail, you know, innocent child. Jesus did that for us. That's the paradox, is that the king of the world came as a humble baby to put an end to our chaos, right? Jesus came as a humble baby to put an end to our chaos, and that sounds impossible, right? Man, sign, sign me up for that baby plan if I can get a baby that, that brings end, the end of my chaos, Jesus came to do that. It sounds impossible and complicated, but there's something that isn't. It's the results. It's the results. You see, the result of Jesus' leadership, of his kingship, is peace. Right? Where every leader, and though every leader, and when we're leaders, are led by pride, they're led by destruction, they're led in insecurities, they're led in trying to break other people down so they could be elevated, Jesus' leadership always delivers peace. He would be the prince of peace. You see, this peace here, though, that we hear, and we, we wrestle with that word. Because, you know, for me as a kid, I remember, you know, hearing about it from, like, the beauty pageants. And they'd be like, world peace. You know, like, that's what they wanted. Okay, <laughs> don't quote me on that one. But, um, <laughs> right, we think of it as, like, this, this, this something that seems insurmountable. It's an absurd idea. World peace. How could that ever happen? Right, it's, it's a great thing in theory. Or peace in my family. And you're like, man, have you seen my family? Right? You're like, peace at my job. And you're like, you understand what they're asking me to do. Right? Or peace, whatever. Fill in the blank. Well, I'm driving to work. It's not peaceful. <laughs> but it doesn't seem right. But here's the thing about this peace that Jesus brings. It's not a peace that is fleeting. It's not a peace that, that just comes and goes. It's this idea, and the Hebrew word for it is called shalom. Shalom. And that word means so much deeper than just peace. It means so much deeper than just one thing. It's a word that means a lot of things. I want to give you some words for it. But it's a word that means completeness, right? Being complete together, right? It means wholeness, right? Feeling whole, feeling like you have everything that you need. This idea of this, it's having this well-being, right? Things are good. It's a Hebrew word that means a state of well-being that encompasses every aspect of our lives, that's the shalom that God wants to give us. That's the peace that we can't get on our own. That's a peace that we cannot secure, that we cannot earn, that we cannot rest enough for, that we cannot pay for the, the right vacation package for, right? Like we can't, we can't achieve this peace that God gives us. It's a, it encompasses every aspect of our lives, relational, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical, right? That's the peace. That's the prince of peace that Jesus came to be. Right, that's the, the leadership. When we submit to the leadership of Jesus, he promises that peace. And that, the beauty of that is when we submit, the, submit that to him, it's above our pay grade then, right? We just got to do our job on this end and make sure we're worshiping the king, right? And I remember this feeling, this tension, right? Feeling this uneasiness, this unwholeness, right? When we, speaking of babies, uh, when we found out we were having our third child, Right? I, I love our kids. I love being a dad of boys um, at that point. Um, I had two boys. I wanted to be a dad of just boys. I have two brothers growing up. I was like, this is going to be great. And uh, Danielle and I, we were youth pastors at the time. 
And so we, you know, went to the ultrasound and got the news of what we were going to have. And we had them put it in an envelope, right? And then, you know, and then we were going to do a celebration, a party with our youth group, right? We had about 80, 100 youth, youth group kids. We had a big old party and uh, we had, the, we gave it to that envelope. We didn't know what it was, uh, what our child was going to be. And we gave it to the kids pastor and said, hey, plan this out. We're going we're gonna to reveal it at that youth group. It's going to be crazy. And so she, you know, put together, got the cupcakes with the, the frosting inside of it and all those things and got it all ready to go. And Danielle, she's like, I'm having a boy. Everything's the same as a boy. And I'm like, God's only going to give me boys. I don't know how to deal with girls. Like, are you kidding me? Like, not, God knows my prayers, right? That's, that's the way it's going to be. And we get to this point in our, our youth service, so we, you know, we gave everybody like beaded necklaces. When I mean, they came in, if they're wanting a boy, they, they got blue necklace. They wanted, if they thought we were having a girl, they had pink necklaces. Everyone was like team pink, obviously. Because um, they know that Danielle would make a cute daughter, not me, but um, her. Um, I would have some part of it. But we're sitting there, and we get the kids up front in this kid's service. And I'm like, I know we're having a boy. I know it's going to be another boy. We have three boys, just like my mom. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And uh, I'd prepared myself for that, you know, that moment. And we are standing in front of everybody, and they're, you know, give Daniel the cupcake with the, with the frosting on the inside that he's going to bite. And Daniel's like a little guy at this time, and he's like, sweet, cupcake. And Drew's like, I'm out of here. At that point, he just ran. Um, but Daniel bites into this cupcake and reveals pink frosting. And Danielle and I look at each other, and everyone starts cheering, and both Danielle and I are like, what? You know, like, oh, no. Like, like you, we have a video of it. I, I'm kind of embarrassed by it, by it you know, honestly, because like, I'm just like, you know, like, how could, how could this be? God, what are you doing? Right? And I remember in that moment, like, my world turned upside down. It, it, like, it was, it was weird. I was excited about, you know, having three kids, having three boys, and then it just, I don't know what happened inside me, but, like, an upheaval happened, right? And I was just like, what, is, what are we going to do? Right? We have all these boy toys. We have all these things. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, all, all these, this thing. I remember this feeling of just feeling just that unsteadiness in my heart. I remember trying to process those things with Danielle and different people in my life. I was like, man, I just, I don't know why, but I feel like there's no, like, I don't feel peace about this. And they're like, you better, because this is going to happen, right? <laughs> you know, like one of those ones where you're just like, everything, you're just like, you better, you know, put, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, Darren. Um, but I remember just going to God in that season and just saying, God, I'm just so uneasy on the inside, right? Just so uneasy. Have you ever felt that way? Just so uneasy on the inside. And you're trying to hold it together and you're trying to make it look like you have things together, but just being so uneasy on the inside. And I remember going to God and saying, God, I need you. Right? I need you. I need, this was like right before Christmas time, right? That we, that we had the reveal probably. And I remember that season of Christmas and just saying, God, I need you to be that Prince of Peace for me. I need you to be that Prince of Peace because I don't know how to, to lead. You know, I know how to play Legos and be crazy with boys and all that stuff. Well, girls play Legos too, so it's great. I, I discovered that, guys. Um, <laughs> but I remember going to God and just saying, I need you to be that Prince of Peace for me. I need that peace. I need that wholeness. I need that, that, that thing that I cannot get on my own. I need that in my life. It's a state of well-being that encompasses every aspect of our lives, relational, emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical. Right? It feels like that we have nothing to prove, right? Nobody to please. Right? That feeling of everything's going to be Okay? And I love that song, the sound, it is well with my soul, that no matter what, it's going to be well with my soul. It's going to be well. 
when I walk with him. You see, those who received, have received Jesus as their king, we have access to that peace. So hear that today. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, man, my life is crazy. The water's going, you know, feel like the boat's filling up. You have access to the peace of Jesus, right? And so today, like, don't walk out of here without saying, Jesus, I need that peace today, right? For those of you who are checking out Jesus, checking out church, or here today, you know, exploring faith, exploring who Jesus is, know that you can have that peace that goes beyond your understanding. You can have a peace that is greater. You see, here's how we access that peace. How do we walk through life and through this chaos, the chaos of life? And how do we get access to that peace? You see, we access God's peace by standing on God's promises. We access his peace by standing on his promises. We stand on his promises. And there's a few that I want to read to you. There's some scriptures here that I think are powerful for us to, to process and to remember. And so if you're journaling, you can write these down or just write the reference down. I encourage you to read these and process these later. But in Matthew 28, uh, 20, the second half of that verse, where Jesus is making his final announcement to his disciples, he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. He says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right, that we have somebody with us, as we talk about in Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, that no matter what, to the end of the age, no matter if the mountain blows or not, Jesus is with us, right? And he's going to walk with us into heaven, and, you know, it's going to be great. Danielle's, one of Danielle's friends mentioned it the other day when regards the mountain. She's like, the Lord knows I love the spa. So um, I was like, that's a nice way to look at it, but still, let's not do that. Um, but Jesus is with us, right? He'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. Paul writes this in Romans, Romans chapter 8. If you're looking for some good encouragement or some good challenging encouragement, Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter for you. But here's a couple verses from that I want to highlight for us. It says in verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Right? I've heard that misquoted at times. Is God's not going to give you anything you can't handle. That God's going to work all things out. No, there's a second piece of that. It says, for the good of those who love him. Right? For those that love God, he's going to work things out. It might, seem, it might seem like turmoil. It might seem like this uneasiness. It might seem like something that's going to be insurmountable. But God will work those things out who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Right? That, that to me says, as we walk, as we journey with him beside us, He's going to work things out. Things are going to happen, right, as we know. There's going to be difficulties. We know that in this world, James says, there will be trials. There will be things that are going to, that are going to be difficult. But when we walk with him, we walk with that prince of peace, right, he's going to work things out. Romans 8, 31, it says, What shall I say about what such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right, that's a promise, Right? I want to walk with that guy. I want to walk with the guy that created, that called out of, of nothingness, the stars and the, 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 the planets. He called out of the waters, land. He called out of the sky, birds. He set into motion creation, humanity, all of those things. I want to be on that guy's side. If God is with us, who can ever be against us? Romans 8, 38, it says this, Paul thinking of these promises, thinking of who Jesus is, thinking of who God is. He says, I am convinced. Man, I want to live a life of convinced, right? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Hear that, friends. Paul is convinced of that, and he was the one who considered himself the furthest from God, the greatest protagonist against God. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. 
neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our, neither our fears for today. Man, if I, if I allow myself, my fears for today can send to control my moments, my day, my breath, my actions. He says, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Man, that's the Prince of Peace that we're talking about. That's the Prince of Peace that we can lean into. I'd like to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up this morning. We're going to close in a time, in a song. We're going to sing goodness of God and again in a moment. But how do we begin to walk this out? It's a good question, right? How do we begin to access this peace? How do we begin to, to walk in this, this promise, these promises that he gave us in his scripture, that he's, if he's for us, then who could be against us? Paul gives us this encouragement in one of my favorite verses in scripture in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says this, and it's, it's always one that I come back to and that I read. I have it highlighted in my Bible. I think we have it written in different places in our house. A different, you know, I, I get reminded of it. But it's such a challenging piece of scripture. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Right? That's a, a good place to start. Right? That's where we start. He says, don't worry Seems impossible. Prince of Peace, come and help me with that. Right? Instead, pray about everything. Lean into prayer is a conversation with God. It's nothing mystic. It's nothing that has to be formulaic. It's something that's just a conversation. Right? So I tell, I tell people this all the time, I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to ask God, okay, what are my, like, give me my, my top 20 prayers, you know, that I prayed. And it's going to be like, number one's going to be like, oh, Lord, help me. Right? I'm like, so I, I need to start changing that one because, you know, if that's going to be the top of my scoreboard. But Lord, help me. God, lead me in this moment. Be with me. Give me the words to speak. Give me the, the eyes to see. Help me, God. He says, pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need. And in return, thank him for all he's done. Right? A heart of thanksgiving, a heart of thankfulness. When we are thankful, just like we tell our kids, right? We need to be thankful. It changes the way we view our situation, doesn't it? Right? Instead of looking at the, the hardship or the struggle with like, you know, the fear and the worry, instead I look at it with thankfulness. God, thank you for walking me through that. Right? Thankful, thank you for giving me the peace that I need. Thank you for giving me the strength that I need. It doesn't necessarily change what I'm walking through, right? Because I'm still going to have to walk through it. But it changes how I approach it. Right? And, if, and we can pray. God, take that away. Right? This hard thing in front of us. God, can you like move that? Can you like send that as far as the east is to the west? But here's his promise. He's going to walk with us through it. Right? We're going to walk with it, through it, with him. And we can trust him. He's trustworthy. Thank him for all he's done. It changes the way you think. He says this in verse 7. Hear this, my friends, my family. Then you will experience God's peace. And sometimes we try to skip verse 6, don't we? Right? We're just trying to like get to peace as fast as possible, which is my slippers, which is all these things. Like insert whatever it needs to make you feel peace and comfort. But we forget about verse six. We forget about it. We forget about praying. We forget about thanking God. Because in verse seven, it says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Another Paradox. Seemingly absurd, this peace that could go beyond our circumstance, that could go beyond what we can imagine. It says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
Right? His peace is accessible. His peace is accessed when we walk in thankfulness, when we walk in thanksgiving, when we pray and we get, you know, pray about the things that are going on. Man, the first thing that we should do as followers of Jesus, hear this, if a circumstance comes up that seems daunting, it seems out of, out of our control and seems scary, we should pray. Right? Pause and pray. We should stop and pray. You see, peace comes, hear this, when we bring our problems into the light of God's promises through prayer. Right? That's when peace comes, when we submit to that king, that baby king, right? humble, right? would live a humble life and give himself for us. That is how we live in God's peace. It comes when we bring our problems into the light of God's promises through prayer. Right? And that's what we can do this morning. That's what we can do. That's what I love about Sunday mornings. A lot of times it's a chance for us to kind of reset. Right? To reca- I like to say it as a recalibration. Right? We take our cars to the shop, and if we're d- out of alignment, we say, hey, can you put this car back in alignment for me? Right? We don't take the car to the shop every day, because right? every day we're driving it around. We're, li- we're living life with it. Same thing goes with our spiritual journeys. We're living life, walking through the halls of our jobs, walking through you know, our halls of our homes, we're doing things. But you know, the cool thing about Sunday morning and gathering is we can say, we're pulling into the shop. God, I need a realignment. Right? I've heard your words spoken this morning. I've heard maybe your Holy Spirit's been speaking to me about some places that I've not been trusting you in. And I wanna, I wanna walk out of this, these doors. I wanna walk out into this week with, realigned. That's what significant times like Easter and Christmas, they help us do. And hopefully that's what you're allowing to to do for your life and for your journey is to realign your heart, right? When materialism, when when greed, when the hustle and bustle and, you know, all the things that Christmas has to be by society, we take a step back and we say, yo, I'm going to be aligned with him first. And today is... We move towards Christmas Eve next week. I'm so excited for Christmas Eve service. Please be here. But I want to ask this question is, do you have that kind of relationship with the King? One of trust. One where you're going to Him. When troubles come, are you trusting Him? Are you praying about everything? Or are you in the worry stage? Right? doesn't mean that we don't feel that pressure, we don't feel it, but we can know that we, he is walking with us through it. Do you have that relationship with the king? Are you living in fear or worry? Are you, but, or are you accessing his shalom, right? His shalom, that completeness, that wholeness, that well-being, state of well-being that encompasses every aspect of your life. Are you living in that? So the question today, I'm just going to invite you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes here today. I'm going to have a two-part prayer, just two things for you. The first one is, is this. If you haven't declared Jesus as your king, this baby who came to give everything for us, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that, to say yes to him this morning. Maybe for the first time, maybe it's for the 10th time, maybe it's for the first time in a long time, but you want to realign your heart with Jesus. I want to give an opportunity and pray with you this morning for that decision. And if that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. Yeah. See your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And as I pray this prayer, would you pray this prayer in your heart? A realignment prayer. Jesus, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, that you came as a baby for us. Lord, that you came to save, to rescue us on the greatest rescue mission that all of of creation and history could do. You stepped out of eternity into humanity for me. 
And so God, for those that raised their hand this morning saying that they want to commit their lives to you, submit to that king. God, I pray that you would make that real in their lives. Because they'd even now begin to sense your peace in the midst of their circumstances. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Please forgive us of our sins. God, we are so grateful for that. Thank you, Jesus. The second prayer I'd like to ask is if you're going and feel like you're barely floating, feel like there's a lot of turmoil in your life, feel like you don't have peace, you feel like everything's going crazy, and maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, you're just like, but I, I'm not accessing that shalom. Maybe today, man, I want to pray over you as well. I want to pray over you. Would you just raise your hand today? Just, just need that peace. Need Jesus' peace, that wholeness, that shalom. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, let's pray this prayer. Jesus, we thank you for today. God, we thank you, God, that you promise to give that shalom. God, you promise to give wholeness, God, that state of well-being that encompasses every aspect of our lives. And Jesus, today, for my friends that are going through a, a very rough situation, God, they feel like there's no peace, that it can't be accessed or achieved. God, I pray that they would turn over themselves to you. Turn over their desires. Turn over, God, their, their ambitions, Lord, and that they would rest and submit, Lord, to the Prince of Peace. God, I pray for peace to wash over every person in this room. God, every family, every marriage. God, every situation, every job. God, may we be people who are carriers and bearers of the peace, of the Prince of Peace into the world. God, that we would see the situations around us, not, God, in fear, but, Lord, with a desire and a knowledge knowing that you are going to get us through it if we love you and trust you. So God, we thank you for your love, for your goodness, and for your peace, Jesus. So let me pray. Amen. Amen. I love this song. We're going to respond and sing the goodness of God one more time. We sang it at the beginning, but I want us to sing again with that new, refreshed thought, desire to make sure we're in alignment. And that's what we're going to sing this song. God, you've been faithful, right? I'm going to trust in the goodness of God. So I invite you guys to stand. And just as the wise men, they approached Jesus. They approached this baby. They bowed in worship. They laid their gifts down. They laid their treasure down. They gave their best. Man, I want to give, be somebody who gives God my best. I gives God my most of the best of my energy, the, mo, the best of my resources, the best of my time. And right now, that's what we can do. As we sing this song, give God your best. Lay it down. If you want to spend some time kneeling at the altar, you can do that. If you want to raise your hands, kneel at your seat. But let's spend some time realigning. Don't walk out of the shop this morning, friends. Out of alignment. All right, let's walk out. Point in the right direction. So let's sing this song together and I'll come and close this in a moment.